Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode nine of DN Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your game. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my good buddy, Ben Bumhofer. How are you doing this evening, Ben? I am doing pretty fantastic, Ryan. It is... See, okay, this is a highlight of my every other week. I get to talk about one of the best things in the world and uh, do it with a good friend of mine. So I'm doing pretty good. Awesome. Well, I am doing good as well. And I'm actually really excited and you know, in some ways a little nervous oh, really? to, to, cover, to cover our topic tonight because <laughs> it, it's, it is a source of... I think potentially existential dread for DMs everywhere. Uh, our topic tonight, from uh, from our DM perspective, is going to be dealing with curveballs. And and what exactly do I mean by curveballs? Well, picture this: you have uh, your your party is wandered through the woods for several sessions. They have defeated several carefully planned encounters as you move them towards the dungeon that they are seeking. Uh, You bring in this NPC who you happen to talk about this, this town that they're from and how it would be great, you know, if, if they saved it and potentially they could find something in the dungeon that may help them become more powerful and you're and you've you've been carefully planning and crafting this dungeon for weeks. It is three levels of sheer player terrifying monsters, encounters, traps, puzzles. You're super excited. And uh, as the party finishes talking to the NPC, they look at each other, start talking a little bit and say, we're going to go to the town and try and take on the e- great evil that is there. Wait, 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 what? But, but, but see, here's the thing. There's, but, there's this castle right there. The dungeon. It, but the dungeon. It, it's got stuff in it, like oh magical gosh. things and items and fun. And I've spent four hours just building up to it in this one session right here. And there's a good, probably 80 hours of work that's gone into this and they're not going there. It's a rough situation to be in very, very much. And it's, it's hard. And I think uh, if you've been DMing very long, you will inevitably have a story similar to this. It may not be on the same scale. It may be, even a bigger scale. Um, but this is, this is what can happen in a sandbox world when you give your players free choice to do what they want. And it can, it can be very hard. And a lot of times um, your instinct will be, I'm going to force them to go do what I created. Yeah. And that, that is an option. That is an option. It's usually not the best option, though, because it, a lot of your play, if you, the moment that you, or if you've been running a game with that creative freedom, the moment you take that away, 
and push their characters towards something they don't want to do, that's when you're going to start really grinding on your game and potentially causing a lot of animosity between yourself and your players. Exactly. And so one of, one of the hardest things is getting your players to do what you want them to do, but having them think that they're the ones who chose how to do it. And I mean, there's, there's definitely a couple ways of, of, of doing this. I mean, one is to, you know, throw as many hints that you possibly can, or at least make it, you know, very enticing. You want to have as many hooks out there to kind of pull them in this, in this, you know, certain direction. Do you have a group who, you know, loves combat, wants to defend the weak or something, you know, set something up that, that kind of feeds into that want or that need, or are they want people who, you know, want treasure? Talk about this massive amount of treasure that's in a certain place where you need them to go. Or are they just people who want to hang out and get drunk in a bar? Great. You know what? There could be some sort of passageway into a dungeon underneath the bar. You know, it's, it's one of these things where you, you spend so much time creating this world, creating different challenges, creating environments, especially like a dungeon crawl. And if your, your players aren't able to go there, you can also do really fun things like move it to where they are going to be. In fact, that, that's something that's, uh, I'm, I, well, gosh, I don't know if my players are actually going to get there, but I'm already in the process of, of creating a dungeon that I know where it is, but I'm ready to move it to a different place if I need to, just in case, because you never know what that's going to be like. Um, very, well, not, not super early on, but kind of early on in the campaign that I'm running right now, I tried to think of a good way to not fully railroad my, my, my players into something, but I'm like, Oh, this, this thing would be really cool. I want them to be able to do this. So I kind of had them blackmailed into doing it, which some of the players weren't very, well, some of the characters weren't very happy about that. And, you know, it carried on and changed their interactions towards those, that NPC and everything, but, you know, going forward, I'm like, okay, I learned my lesson on that. I'm not going to do that again. I'll try to figure out, you know, different ways of doing that. And that's where one of the biggest things that you need to do in, you know, prepping is, you know, it's right there. It's, it's all you need to do. And that's, you know, brainstorm by yourself to think what possible things could someone actually be going for? Like, okay, I want them to go to this dungeon. Okay, if they're not going to go to the dungeon, what are some things they might want to do instead? And, you know, and then have like a very loose plan just in case one of those random turns happens. But even more so, be ready to be incredibly flexible based on, you know, whatever the player's whim is. Maybe this is going to be one of those situations where they're halfway through the dungeon and they're like, okay, we're really low. Let's leave camp and then come back. And guess what? That's going to change everything too. That, that's something that I'm waiting to see if that ever happens because it, it's going to be a bad mistake anytime that happens. <laughs> Sneaky. I think, I think you hit on something and this is definitely one of, one of the points I really want to hit on a lot. One of the biggest tools in the DM's chest is reskin reuse. And there's so much 
there's, there's so much potential for content, but there's also so much potential for players to completely not do your content or at least not do it in the way you had planned it. Um, so it's actually pretty much a given fact that they will not do it in the way you planned it. That will happen to you while you are playing. Uh, so one of the things I like to do is I, I really like to develop a lot of stuff in generalities or a lot of stuff that I can, or a lot of, um, I guess, scenarios. So like you could have the scenario of this person is captured and they are being held for ransom. Now, depending on where your players are in the world, you could easily take that scenario and skin it and make it region or location, whatever appropriate. If they're in the woods, uh, they're near a mine shaft or something like that, it could be village people and gnolls. If they're in a city, it could be a lord and like uh, the, the thieves guild or something that is extorting this house and holding them for ransom. So you basically, I, it's the exact same thing. It's going to play out a little differently mm-hmm. depending on the location, but the scenario itself is the exact same. So it's, it's really good to, to start prepping those types of generalities and those types of scenarios. And then you can take those, draw from them and skin them as appropriate. Or like Ben said, you, you've got this huge dungeon, you made it. The people don't go to it. They decide to go somewhere else. Okay, cool. That castle that was going to be the dungeon is now a two or three room thing. If the people go back to it and all of a sudden that dungeon is now underneath the town that they're going to. Mm -hmm. And they just start finding clues to go into it. And all of a sudden they find it. They have no idea that this particular thing is what they were going to run but then you still get to use it. You reflavor bits and pieces of it, like the entrance, uh, potentially a few of the things inside, potentially a little of the lore once the, the players get to the village. And all of a sudden, it looks as, like, it, it looks as if you were completely ready for mm-hmm. that player curveball that they threw at you. Yeah, in fact, one of the, the funnest things as a DM is completely redoing everything that you thought of or, or changing your story or changing your lore based on something else that's going on. In fact, like my, my big bad evil guy, uh, I still don't have an exact idea on everything about them. I know roughly things that happen, roughly things that they're trying to do and everything, but I don't have everything sorted yet because as the players are going through the game, they're kind of helping me discover some of that stuff just based on their actions alone. And that's one of the the really neat things is that, you know, so you have a dungeon in mind. Again, they decide not to go to the castle. They're going into the forest. What if there's ruins? Guess what? Boom, it's right there. Every single thing that they have not encountered yet is completely in flux and you can change it at a moment's notice. So if you have just, I mean, if you, uh, we're going to keep going back to dungeons because this is dungeons and dragons. If you have a dungeon planned or something and you have like maybe three or four dungeons just in your mind or in a notebook somewhere or something, 
great. You can just have them ready whenever, wherever you need them to be. Just as soon as you use it, just make sure that you mark down that it's been used. And guess what? That dungeon is in those set of ruins in this forest from now on. And the party knows that because they've been there. Dungeon number 3A that you have on page 27 of your notebook, that's still somewhere. You can use that anytime, anywhere that you want to. Just like uh, any NPCs that you make. I mean, something as small as just treasure that you randomly find. You know, like you're, you're, playing, you're going through the DM book and you say, oh, this, this sword looks really cool. Cool. It's in the back of your mind somewhere. Sometime it's going to be treasure. Yeah, exactly. No, that's, there's a lot of really cool things you can do. And it sometimes it is really helpful to have a list, make a list of the cool stuff you see, cool magic items that you like. And then you can look back at that list and maybe if the situation is appropriate, all of a sudden whoop, that gets thrown in mm-hmm. to, to that scenario or that situation that I do that all the time. I, I've gone through and found really cool magic items that I really like. Um, so just beyond the reskin reuse type idea, um, let's talk about a few of the things that you can do when you're caught off guard. And so one of the big ones, let's say you're, you're building up to a moment, you've been playing for a few hours, um, and then the party throws you a curveball. And one of the, one of the best things you can do at that point, and cause usually those points are dramatic moments mm-hmm. because dramatic moments are inevitably made from things that you are not prepared for. So a lot of times call a break, call the bathroom break, call a 10 or 15 minute it's you, those type of scenarios are usually great points to do it. And then you've got a little bit of time to think, holy crap, what am I going to do? <laughs> but it's, it's nice to have that because then you actually have a little bit of time to think things through or how you want to deal with things before your players come back instead of just going, uh, uh, uh orcs attack mm-hmm. or well, something like fall. that. Everybody dies. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's really good to, to have that. Sometimes, you know, that situation may happen and you may just need, and you can be honest. Like you may just need to go, okay, uh, whew, that's crazy. Um, I think we may just need to call the session right here, guys, so that I have time to adequately prepare something that is good enough for this situation. Mm-hmm. And, and players will understand that. One of the neat things too is uh, Ryan, as you were saying, it's it's it can be dramatic. Well, guess what? That's just going to entice them to want to play and jump in even more if you pause right there. Like, why do you think commercial breaks always stop with some sort of like climactic moment or the you know the music just ends on a big crescendo or something? It's it's how it works. You know, uh, in our our plus five to hit game, every single time we we finish, it's some sort of cliffhanger. It could be something completely mundane you know, that we won't know about until the next time. But you know what? It's that little bit of like pause that just entices you to come back. Like it, it doesn't matter what that's going to be. In fact, uh, it, it, a stupid example, like you watch Dr. Who, don't you? I have seen. Yeah. Doctor Who. So like, it, I don't know. It, it almost seems like anytime it's a two-parter episode, the cliffhanger 
that was you know the end of the first episode is resolved in the first like 45 seconds of the second episode and it, you know it's going to get resolved but it's it's right there it's good and then you can just continue on with the story it's something similar to that where you build this tension you cut that tension and then jump right into that next story beat and it's something that is like if you can accomplish that and really pull it off well your players are going to remember that because of just the craziness of what happened and then just going right into it. Oh, totally. Totally. It's, and those, those type of moments, like you said, they're, they're always, they're, they're fun. And usually they're the most memorable moments. Some of the most memorable moments from the games I played in is crap that I just made up on the spot because of crazy things that my players did and curveballs they threw threw at me. Um, one other really uh, big thing that I find helpful from a, a preparation standpoint is, and, and this is usually something that you would do toward the end of a session. This is, this is not one of those like little mini break things, but a lot of times when players, sometimes when your, your session ends, you'll have a very clear path forward of what, your players are intending on doing right or they're in the middle of this this story arc and it is uh much more linear because it's they're focused on this objective sometimes that objective hasn't been chosen and sometimes there are multiple options laid out for for your players and a lot of times whenever we reach one of those things and this it's not a bad thing to do as as a DM, you, you, you've got two options. One, you could prepare for every single option, which honestly, if you've got the time, great. Mm-hmm. I don't have <laughs> the time for that. It would be, it would be super, super like high level preparing for every option. So as a DM, it's not a bad thing to go, okay, guys, we're at this point. The session is ended. What are you guys wanting to do? And get the feedback from the players so that you can go, okay, cool. Uh, you want to do that and that. Great. Now I have an idea of where we're going for the next session. That's not a bad thing. That doesn't make you a bad DM. That mm-hmm. just makes you an efficient <laughs> DM. Yeah, more prepared. Yeah. It's and because gonna- you're going to be able to provide your players a better experience if you do. Like, I mean, yes, you can do some awesome stuff improvised. And yes, some of us are better improvisers than others. And that's okay. Everyone's got strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Um, But especially if you don't feel like you have very strong improv skills, these type of things are incredibly helpful to allow you to deliver a very good, memorable, meaningful story and content to your players rather than winging it and just going off the cuff and having ending up in a scenario that's not exciting for you or your players. Exactly. And one of the neat things about, you know, kind of having an idea of what, what they're going to do is great. Um, But the fact that there's actually options and like before they get to that point, before you say, Hey, which one, you know, which way do you want to go? The thing that I think is neat is, if you're able to just kind of, again, just drop a couple of hints or things or, or hooks, you know, throughout your current adventure, it kind of puts them on a path. Like once that current adventure is done, you know, if it seems enticing enough to them, 
Um, one thing that I like that you've done that you've talked about is, you know, having the job board in the town. So you have a couple like, you know, small adventures planned for, you know, a couple sessions and stuff. Uh, you know, okay, well, they're interested in all this stuff. I can, you know, pick and choose and, and, you know, build them up as much as I want to. Um, with my session, I've been working on a pretty big arc they, that they, you know, finished last time. And I've got a hook for, you know, something else that's going on that, I mean, they're adventurers and they seem to want to do good. So they're probably going to head that way next. I mean, I'm going to have a, another idea or two planned just in case, but it's, you know, it, it's a feeling that I've got um, just based on what I've, I've seen them do already. And that's another thing too, is that you can kind of, you know, over time start to predict, you know, and of course it's not going to be completely infallible, but kind of predict what, which way your players might start going and which way they might. Yeah. You learn your players. Exactly. Like if you have the, the chaotic good people who just want to go and, you know, spread good wherever they can and totally Robin hooded or something, you know, they might head towards a big town and try to help out there where, unless you have someone who's got delusions of grandeur and, you know, just wants to save the entire world from everything or you're playing evil characters and I've never done that before. So I don't know what the motivation is. <laughs> so I think it would be interesting. I don't know about an evil campaign. You'd really have to have the right people and the right DM, I think to pull that off, but an evil one shot, I think would be really interesting. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I'd be interested in it, but Again, I've never done it before, never played in it. So I'm not entirely sure exactly what the full motivation is. Because when I think evil, like I'm, I'm not thinking jerk, you know, just going around killing randomly and stuff like that. I'm thinking more like mastermind, hey, let's take over this town. Like I'm thinking high level, like Palpatine or, or something like that. Yeah, that, that's, I mean, the, that is one style of evil, I guess, is just go around and kill everybody. But it's not interesting. No. <laughs> no the interesting thing is those the the subtlety, the 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 craftiness, the deception, all that all that fun stuff. Yeah. Um, so one of the things uh, that we've both been mentioning a lot is improving, and improving is just it, it's it's a skill. It, it's it's like a muscle. The more you work it out, the stronger it's going to get right? It may be very weak when you first start out and you might not be able to improv stuff very well other than small details here and there where eventually the, the people who have been DMing for <clears throat> potentially a really long time uh, can improv entire dungeons just out of thin air. Uh, based, and a lot, of, a lot of improv can come from a few places. First off, previous experiences. Uh, it might be another game you played. It might be a TV show you've watched. It might be another uh, streamed D&D game. Even being able to watch and take in what those things are doing or those scenarios and then pulling those, that into the context of your world and your setting. So that's, that's one big thing mm -hmm. that you can do. One of the other big things that you can do is, is prepare multiple things. And when I, when I say that, so let's just take the scenario of, okay, I ended a session and my players could potentially do this, this, and this. So in my mind or in prep or something, I generalize prep 
those three options. And then on the side of that, I generalize prep several other things that they could potentially do that aren't those three options. Just knowing their characters and knowing them. None of that may ever take place, but it's just the exercise of going through that that really gets your mind turning so that in the moment when those crazy scenarios pop up, then you have prepared your mind with, okay, making, making this, putting this here, making this NPC, uh, making this scenario, this encounter, and these monsters or whatever, you're gonna, it's going to come much more naturally than if you don't go through the exercise, at the very least, of making these scenarios. Exactly. And one of the neat things about DMing in the first place is the fact that, you know, I would say a good 50 to 70% of it is entirely improv because you just have a framework to work off of because you never know fully what your party is going to do. And like the, the biggest rule of improv is yes. And meaning, you know, uh, the, the party does something or a certain player does something you take what they did and roll with it into something else and move, you know, push the whole narrative forward. And that's really fun to do as a DM because you have a set of rules to work with, but based on that, there's some things that can go any which way. And you have the control of choosing what that reaction or what that, that causality is. So, you know, if a player wants to try to stick their sword through a grate to fish out some keys, you tell them what to roll, they roll it, you see what happens off of that. And, you know, if it's something that you never imagined anybody would do, which it's going to happen a lot. A lot. It's just, you know, roll with it. You know, if you make like some sort of bad judgment call or whatever, roll with it. Just keep going because guess what? the party is going to move along with you. You're going to keep going forward. And I mean, overall you're all in it together to have fun. Yeah. That's, that's the, that's the biggest thing. This is, you need to constantly be reading your table as a DM. Are my players having fun? And then once you answer that question, hopefully it's yes. You need to look at yourself and say, am I having fun? Because the whole point of this is for everybody at the table to have fun. And so that's, as long as you guys are having fun, you're doing it right. Exactly. Regardless of if you've prepared something that's 10 pages or prepared something that's two lines. As long as you're having fun, that's, that's where you need to be. Um, so before we shift over to our, our player topic, I wanted to kind of do a little behind the screen Oh, thing. And so Ben, what is one of your most notable scenarios that you've been in where you've been thrown a curveball by your players? Um, well, I can easily tell you the one where I essentially broke the game and the DM actually said, okay, I need a break. Um, Oh, I'm trying to think what happened on my end. I, you know, honestly. <laughs> okay, I'm so laughing about this. Okay, remember, I threw you a curveball. Yeah, not ten minutes ago <laughs> when I said that I I kind of tried to railroad through blackmail to get my players to do something. 
well, so this leader of a, you know, kind of criminal organization, kind of, but it's like, you know, an altruistic one. They're, they're actually trying to do good and, and take the, the actual criminal organization that has their hands in everywhere in, in the city and everything. They're, they're trying to take them down. Well, this guy's not really used to, you know, being intimidating or anything like that. So he's trying to blackmail my, my, my party into doing something. Well, our little halfling warlock is not happy about this. And he's a, the best way to put it is that he's kind of like absent-minded and just kind of does his own thing. He's very like childlike and, and kind of innocent, but like he's like 60 years old. He's definitely not like that. His just, his, his mindset is just kind of off. So he is just upset. He's not happy. So he just decides that he's going to ruin this guy's house, you know, bit by bit. So he walks out into like this parlor and casts a bonfire and destroys a, a grandfather clock. Um, he's in his random room, just firing eldritch blasts at the wall because it's fun, you know? And so I'm just like, okay, well, how can I possibly make it so that like this behavior isn't acceptable in this house but my NPC still needs them to do stuff. So, you know, he kind of like shrugs off the, the Eldritch Blast as in, um, you know, because oh, he said, oh, I was trying to kill a spider, which <laughs> he rolled really high on his deception on. So the, the person who caught him totally won, believed it. Um, as for the grandfather clock, no one knew how that thing caught fire. So it, again, he just, he lit it, walked out of the room and it was just one of those things where I'm like, okay, I've got to do something about this. And it, it turned to the point where he just kind of accepted like, okay, well, this is the, this is the, the deal that I've tried to make. I'm forcing them to do this thing. If they do it, they're allies. If they don't, they're not. We're going to see what happens. And eventually the other team or the other gang, you know, kind of found their way back to them. And uh, th- this head got boss like kind of helped usher the route, snuck him out and everything. And so th- there's more going on that they have no idea about, but uh, yeah, it was, it was really surprising that that one character alone can just totally change everything. And gosh, With a few done, good roles. Yeah. He's done another one too, where he basically left the party because he felt like he was being treated bad. Well, the, the player, or not the player, the, the character felt he was treated badly and everything. So he left the party and ended up finding a drow in the middle of the streets during a curfew that's, you know, he wasn't supposed to be out. He nearly died from it. And yeah, just, it happens quite a bit. So uh, I'm not sure if he listens to every episode, but thanks, John. <laughs> uh, what about you? What's been the, the biggest like notable curveball that's been thrown your way? Oh, good Lord. So many. Um, because like so many happening there's like i can't think of any because they're just curveballs everywhere there there are my my players are are lots of fun like in it like i say this mostly seriously they're they're lots of fun um and the the one that really comes to mind and i kind of alluded to it or I, i i may have talked about it a little bit at the the end segments was when um which was, was with this cursed bow that my ranger has. Yes. So uh, I, may have, I may have talked about it at one point. Uh, they, were, they were in this town that was stuck in this time loop. 
And it was a whole fun thing. They covered two sessions of them trying to figure out how to end this time loop. Uh, almost all of them died and came Ooh. back because they were stuck in the time loop. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it, was a very, it was a very fun thing uh, to go kind of, the gloves are off a little bit on them um, in a few encounters. And one of them that should have been ridiculously strong because they ran into stuff at the wrong time, they ended up pretty much winning with, well, one person was left, <laughs> but they, they pretty oh. much won. And th- but then they woke up the next morning cause they're, they're stuck in this time loop. So it was a really interesting thing. But during the, all that, the ranger picked up this, this bow and attuned to it. The bow was from this demon dude they were fighting. So obviously without any sort of thought, he attunes to this thing. Of course, it's a cursed item. It's from a demon dude. Mm-hmm. And so he's been stuck with it. Like he, he literally cannot take the bow off his person. He can put it on his back. He can do whatever, but he cannot drop it. And if he touches another bow and arrow, it will disintegrate. Oh, dang. And because he tried to do that, his old bow and arrow, as soon as he attuned to it, disintegrated. Oh. Hope so it, hope it wasn't a family heirloom. <laughs> so that was kind of like the the little my little uh hint hint it's cursed type type thing and so he's kind of found that out so it's it's been several sessions since then and they're in this big city now and he's wanting to get it cleansed so at first and this is totally behind the behind the scenes my mind is just like okay yeah yeah he, he take it to a church and uh, it'll get cleansed and it'll have these, uh, this more like uh, radiant type of, because it's like this necrotic base thing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I went on D&D Beyond. I made a cleansed version of the bow item. And as they went through the thing, just as, as they were going through the session, in my mind, I was just like, this is, that's, this is super anticlimactic. This is this is like they're just gonna go to a church and get it cleansed. And that's it. there's got to be more to it. Um, so I I did a little bit of looking and I've got um, shout out to Cobalt Press for their Tome of Beasts and their Five uh, E Beastery books um, because they are awesome. And I found a you know a reasonable like one v four type monster like demon for, for this. And then in my mind, I'm just, as the session is going on, I'm spinning up this like cool encounter where, where they're going to have to cleanse this bow and it's going to actually be, you know, something more than a priest touching it and then paying a little bit of money and, Oh, Mm -hmm. it's, it's free. And so I've got this all planned. I'm ready to go. And the party splits two of them go somewhere else and only two of them go to the church. Crap. Now I've got (laughs) something that was meant for four people that there's only going to be two people for, and this could be very, very bad. So they get into the church, they get the, a a matron uh, to, to come and they go off to the side room and she starts the ritual. I say, you and the cleric are pulled into the shadow realm the bow is floating above and it's just this 
black box of shadowy darkness. And then I, I described this character and it's, it's funny because, and this is another, I, I put me and my wife had just recently finished watching uh, full metal alchemist brotherhood. Fantastic show, show, by the way, great. If show. you haven't seen it. Uh, I based this demon entity on the really creepy kid with just the mouth. Yeah. In the, in the show. So it's, uh, so essentially it's this gray man, tall, lanky, just has a mouth, no eyes. Um, and he, he starts talking to him and talking about, uh, power and how they could, you know, do more together than apart the cleric attacks and I have him make a wisdom save. He fails horribly. He gets ejected <laughs> from the, the shadowy darkness. And now the ranger is there alone. The ranger goes to attack. And it's, I, I pretty much kind of explain that uh, he attacks. The, the being is resistant to non-magical you know slashing bludgeoning piercing damage doesn't do hardly anything they've already gotten out of something else he's beat up and he's just he just surrenders and now i'm thinking this could be a really interesting story Mm -hmm. and so all of a sudden this whole like super simple thing cleansing has now turned into him surrendering to this thing forming a stronger bond with this bow it gains more twisted powers and they leveled up at the end of that session and he has taken a level of warlock and this thing has become his patron that's really cool and all of that happened in the span of a session from nothing to me creating this i cleanse version of the item to now he's a warlock. <laughs> He's and, got a level of warlock. And I went after the session, I went on D and D beyond and I was like, well, Bo, you had a good run. <laughs> and I deleted. <laughs> that is a much better curveball than I had to catch. So <laughs> great job on that. It is, it is that, that is definitely my, my go-to example. And so, cause it just, it, and everyone was super into it and it all worked out really well. And it's, it's one of those things where you can, when you do those type of things, again, always be watching your players because you can tell if where you're pushing is interesting or not just from body language, just from how engaged they are with the story. If it doesn't look like it's moving in a good direction from the way you're improving it, take a break or mm-hmm. move somewhere else in the session, whatever you need to do, because you need to make sure that you, you guys are, are having fun and everybody's on the same page. And so, and yes, there's going to be times when things are uncomfortable. Yes. There's going to be times when roles go bad and people get frustrated. That's different. This is more the, the actual direction of the gameplay and where you're taking characters from, a story or scenario perspective. And so you have to be conscious of that, but 
it was it was fun because watching that as we were going all the players were even the two that were out you know off on their own were Mm -hmm. everyone was very engaged and so i'm in my mind i'm thinking okay cool i've hit on something let's let's keep this going and expand it definitely well it sure sounds like you leveled up your uh your your dming there but speaking of leveling up oh are we shifting topics? Oh, we're totally shifting topics. Oh my gosh. What a great transition. Yeah. You get like a medal for transition. That's like a, the show like has a such amazing 10. transitions. Six out of 10, if anything. So good. So good. <laughs> but uh, so one of the, the, the most exciting things to do as a player is to level up because you get something new, even if it's just, Oh, well, I have some extra spell slots. Believe it or not, though, that can be like insanely cool. But if you were to ask me what the absolute best levels are, I'd have to say it's like what four, eight, twelve, and is it sixteen as well? I believe so. Yeah, because you that, for most classes, it's at the four. The yeah. four is interval. Yeah, that that's when you get to make a very important decision. And that is between ability points increasing or choosing a feat. Now, some DMs play, you know, loosey goosey with feats and, uh, you know, depending on what you do in game, you can get feats, you know, granted to you based if it's something that your DM, you know, wants to do, or, you know, you, you go through something or they see something, a trend or whatever. Um, and that's a powerful reward tool. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It really it, is. It's something that's really neat. So there are other ways to get feats. I just want to point that out. There are also other ways to get ability point scores, which sometimes it can be through feats. But having the exact chance to actually choose one or the other, it, it, it gives you a lot of like agency on what you can do with your character and how you see them, as well as if you feel like you're lacking in a certain way. So usually what I do like personally, like when it, level four comes around, I, the first thing I do before anything else is I take a look at my stats and I see, is there something that definitely needs to be improved? You know, in the last four levels that I've been playing, if I've been rolling, have I, do I really feel like I'm not making that big of an impact or if, do I have like basically zero hit points because I, you know, my, my constitution or my dexterity are so low or something like that. And this is where I generally go for stats versus a feat. And, and we'll go over some of the feats and, and you know, what they actually are and, and everything in a few moments here. But the ability point scores can mean a huge difference between success and failure sometimes because those feed into hit points. It feeds into if you're hitting with a weapon, it goes directly into your abilities. Uh, basically, almost everything you do in this game is based off of those scores. So if you want to know how you get some of those modifiers, like say I've got a 10 in strength, there's nothing there. It's just a straight, you know, zero that that's your average score right there. Like if we were human beings, that would be, you know, the average strength of a person or whatever, jump that up to 20 that's the highest you can go raising your different ability score points and stuff. But the thing is, is going from 10 to 20 every two levels or two points, 
gives you one point into an ability modifier. And I know that that is a lot of numbers that I just threw around right there. But basically, um, going from 10 to, to 12 gets you a plus one. 12 to 14 gives you plus two. 14 to 16 plus three. 16 to 18 plus four. And then 18 to 20 gives you a plus five to whatever that ability score is. And they get really, really, really great if you get a plus five into something. It means you are the best that you can be. Uh, in fact, in our last session of plus five to hit, I felt a little bad that I have a 20 dexterity on my monk because I was hitting everything, basically. I think I missed once out of a lot of combats. <laughs> but again, that's because at level four, I try to to maximize my my main key stat as much as I can because it always feels bad when you're rolling something, especially in combat and you do absolutely nothing. So. Yeah, no, that's, that's totally true. And one thing to remember, especially when it comes to fifth mm-hmm. edition specifically is fifth edition is a very flat math based uh, system. You're not going to see gigantic number increases. I just, just from a scale wise, Level one to level 20, not, not insane increases compared to other systems or especially if you're used to playing oh, MMOs yeah. uh, or whatever and you're used to seeing health go up in the, the hundreds and the thousands or you know your attack power go from 44 to 72 when you get a new one. It's, it's not like that. But because of the way that 5e is designed – it's it's really kind of cool because, and I know we talked a little bit about combat encounters a few episodes mm-hmm. ago, it does mean that lower level monsters, especially in significant numbers, can still be somewhat of a threat to higher exactly. level players, which is really cool. It allows you to kind of mix things up a little bit. Um, so like Ben was saying, uh, one of the biggest things I look into for ability points, first, you you kind of have to, you kind of have to think, Am I optimizing or am I, or do I want to lean more towards the, the role-playing aspect? Sometimes those two yes. are the same. Sometimes they're not. Um, and that, that can sometimes be the difference between taking an ability score increase or taking a feat. Um, one of the things I will normally look at for characters is all, all characters have a stat, a single stat that they value more so than everything else. Normally I will look at that and say, is that a 20 Mm -hmm. yet? If it's not, I will try and push that up towards a 20 because that will give you maximum optimization for -hmm. your class. You will hit more often. You will do more damage. You will have a higher DC for your spells and make it harder for enemies to, to resist. And so that's, that's a really good thing. Um, If you're, Sometimes though you can have a sixteen or an eighteen and be like, okay, I'm I'm good with that for a little bit. That's fine. Um, the next thing you want to look at, because you get you get two ability point scores, and you can put both of those points into one thing or one of those points each into two things. And so a lot of times I'll look at my stats and go, okay, is there other stats I really care about that I have at an odd mm-hmm. number? Because Odd numbers, funny enough, odd numbers don't really mean much exactly. of anything. They, they really don't. It's all, 
all that even modifier that you want because that's when you're actually going to get that plus one, plus two, whatever to your, to your stats. And so a lot of times I'll say, okay, do I have any odd modifiers that I could throw one point into each and all of a sudden I get two plus yeah, ones. It comes in really long. handy, especially if say you're a barbarian running around without any armor, uh, you know, put, let's say you're at a, a 15 and a 17 for your con and your decks, put a point into both of those. Guess what? Your armor just went up by two points. And you just got way exactly. more. Exactly. Because when you get, when your constitution goes up and, and just in case you didn't know, especially if you're tracking manually, uh, I believe D and D beyond does this automatically, mm-hmm. but when your con mod goes up, you get that bonus as health every level when it goes up at a different level you get all the back bonuses that you didn't have before too so it's still very important um or very useful oh yeah and seeing that happen in dnd beyond automatically all of a sudden it's like oh i got an extra point here whoa i just got an extra 10 points this is amazing <laughs> it's a lot of fun but it, that's one of the things that you really need to be mindful of of, of those odd numbers because Right now, I think on my monk, I'm sitting at everything's even except for one stat. So it's like, oh, is it a waste to just level up that one and then have another floating point somewhere? Or do I start looking into feats? Yes, and feats, feats are really interesting. So if you, and, and this is where we kind of talked about the optimization versus story from a pure optimization standpoint you're probably going to get the most mileage out of two points not always but normally you'll you'll get the most mileage out of two points however depending on your specific class and your specific build or even your specific story or background feats can be a very interesting opportunity some feats will actually provide one mm-hmm. point of ability score into a yeah, up to 20 into a specific thing, which can be good, especially if you're targeting a key thing, like I need one extra intelligence to hit 18 or I need one extra intelligence to hit 20. Okay, hmm, let me see if there's any interesting feats that grant plus one intelligence. Uh, some feats don't grant any ability score at all, but usually grant something else that is very useful um, if potentially situational um, so you can, you can kind of look around at that, but it's, it, it's definitely a great option to look at because ability scores just kind of give you raw numbers where feats actually, uh, or at least potentially change the mechanics of how your character exactly. works. And I mean, there are some prereq prerequisites. I can never say that word prereqs. We'll just go with that. Um, for certain feats, uh, there are some that are, you know, racial, like if you're a dwarf, you can have this feat. If you're not, don't even look at it. Um, some are dependent on, you know, how strong you actually are. Are you able to do this? Um, you know, some might be, you know, an intelligence level. You need to be a certain intelligence before you can, you know, have the certain feat. And, whenever you're going through and deciding that there is one that you want, make sure that you, you meet those. Otherwise you might just, I don't know, completely break the system unless your DM says, Hey, it's cool. I don't care. You know, it, it, it all depends on, you know, the rules of the game you're playing. 
So if you're, you're <laughs> for some reason, um, your DM says, okay, cool. This, this little halfling feat uh, where you're able to, uh, you know, have squat nimbleness. Um, yeah, you can do it as a Goliath. Sure, why not? Even though it's supposed to be for like a dwarf or a small race. They're told they're breaking the game with it, but it's okay because the DM said it was cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> as long as as long as you've got, got the approval. So we wanted to kind of highlight uh, because ability score is is fairly mm-hmm. straightforward. It's just you kind of go for most classes have your primary and your secondary stats. And so increasing those to 20 over time, big thumbs up. That's good. Feats feats are, there's a lot of them. There's, there's a ton of them. And so that most, most feats that are, are allowable or playable in games. Most people will use feats from the player's handbook, which is generally available and um, potentially Xanthar's Guide mm-hmm. to Everything that did come with a lot of new feats and some of them being uh, racial-specific feats. Uh, but we wanted to kind of go through a few of our favorites, kind of highlight a few uh, that you might have missed or if you've never even considered a feat for your character, if you're just like, I'm all about the ability points, maybe we can point one out and you change your mind. Uh, so one of the, one of the big ones, uh, just starting off, that you may you may sleep on is called tough. Now tough doesn't actually increase your ability at all. Like no, no ability increase. But your hit point maximum increases by an amount equal to twice your level when you gain the feat. And whenever you gain a level thereafter, your hit point maximum increases by an additional two points. Which is pretty good. So, and remember, I, I was talking about 5e especially being a fairly flat math system. If you do the math on this, that's 40 hit points at level mm-hmm. 20. Which when your highest characters, like your barbarians or your fighters or whatever, are probably maxing out somewhere in like... 200 250 whatever right kind of maxing out somewhere in there 40 hit points is a big it is deal huge it's gigantic i mean if you were a wizard and you took tough that could potentially be a third to half of your <laughs> yeah. uh the idea of a wizard actually having tough is pretty great i mean and this isn't like you know strength is added or anything it means that you can take a hit and wizards need that pretty badly. That's great. Yeah. What, what about you, Ben? What are, what's a, what's one um, you like? Well, gosh, I, I mean, we've got a whole bunch listed here and I, I started writing some down. I noticed, Oh, you have it on yours. Okay. So we'll, we'll skip some of those, but I got to say one of my favorites, and this is entirely just a, a, a Ben sort of thing. Like, it's going to be really hard not doing it with um, some of the other characters that I play and everything, just because I really like it so much, but observant is a good one. Uh, Not only does it increase either your intelligence or your wisdom by one, but if you can see a creature's mouth, when it's speaking a language you understand, you could read its lips. Plus it gives you a 
five bonus to your passive perception and investigation scores, which Oof, that's it is. Big. In fact, uh, my DM in in my cleric game, uh, he's just kind of like, okay, cool. What's everybody's passive perception? Double checking. You know, I'm all like 21. He's like, what? <laughs> It's like, okay, you and only you see this. <laughs> and well, it, it's, it's really cool considering, and I would love to see the data behind this. And I don't know how you would get the data, but it feels like to me, perception checks are probably one of the most common checks in all of these. Yeah, well, this is just your passive perception though. So it has nothing to do with actually rolling the dice. It's just what the the dm considers that you would just kind of know oh it is passive oh see look at this i'm i'm learning things i just i just totally totally glanced over that but and this is awesome if your dm uses Mm -hmm. passive perception oh yeah which not all dms do so make sure that your dm is actually using passive perception before you (laughs) before you take this feat or it will be uh slightly slightly yeah, using it to read lips though is actually really great it really pissed off the dm once when i'm like um can i see their mouth yeah i can read lips okay okay <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty great it's one of those curveballs i got to throw out there just by following the rules um but i do that's have awesome. to pair this with another one of my favorite feats because the two of them working in conjunction is great and uh that is linguist so again, it, it gives you another plus one to your intelligence score. So just by those two feats alone, you can get a plus two to your intelligence or one in wisdom, one intelligence. Um, but you learn three more languages. And my cleric was a very studious person. He loves language, loves to be able to speak a whole bunch of stuff. And because of that, as well as uh, just my background, my DM gave me, a, he's like, hey, just go ahead and pick another language. I'm like, okay. I mean, he knows random crap like he can speak abyssal he knows uh uh elvish um very very much so he can speak draconic um he can speak celestial because his god talks to him specifically i mean he's uh he's a pretty cool dwarf i'm just gonna throw that out there um but another thing about linguists that i've never used is that uh you can create written ciphers and others can't decipher a code I create unless I teach it to them uh, or they succeed on a uh, DC saving throw of my intelligence score plus my proficiency bonus or they have to use magic. That That's something that's really cool. And that's I'm going to have cool. to start using that because that's just really neat. Yeah. And that's another one of those feats that has role play implications as well as stat implications, which is really interesting. Exactly. Um, and it honestly would not be a feats discussion if we did not bring up yes. lucky. <laughs> the, the one feat that breaks the game. Well, some people say that. <sighs> it, there, are, there are some DMs that absolutely hate this. Uh, there are some DMs that ban this uh, from, from their games because it is, it is a very powerful mm-hmm. feat. Um, it uh, basically gives you three luck points that you can use to re-roll pretty much any die you roll and then choose which of the two die you rolled to use the result from, or you can force an enemy to Mm -hmm. re-roll by using a luck point. 
and they, they are recovered after a long rest. I, I cannot tell you how many times this feat has saved my mm-hmm. butt, uh, especially in the game and one of the games I used to play in where the DM counted ones in combat as critical failures that could actually uh, cause other cause you to damage oh, other players. Oh, that's no good. Potentially. Uh, like actual, you know, legitimate critical fumbles. Um, and so I, I made a point at level four to grab this feat <laughs> because that was able to negate some of that really, really bad stuff that could happen on one rolls that was more of a homebrew because that that's technically that's not actual D and yeah. uh, the, the friendly fire stuff that he, he was a, he's a DM that has played a long time. So I, I assume that was probably picked up or, or um, like a, a traditional type play. From yeah, exactly. Editions. And uh, there are a lot of people out there who use like, um, crit tables or fumble tables and, and things like that. Like if I remember correctly, uh, three or 3.5 even had where if you roll a 20, yeah, it's a hit, but you have to roll again. And if you get another 20, then that means that it's actually a crit, which interesting. I personally, I'm like, Meh. but, uh, yeah, it's that's, that was definitely one of the, one of the few things that I wasn't, wasn't the biggest yeah. fan of. Uh, but I mean, it was, it was a fun game overall, but that there's, there's always, there's always things. And that, that was definitely one of the things I was just like, eh, you know, I'll live with it. That's, that's what he says. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's his rules. I, I agreed to play. That's fine. Uh, but I'm going to try and get around, get around it, <laughs> yep. get around it. And lucky is a, is a great, yeah, and way. you know what, it's something that adds from a DM perspective that I want to throw out there. And, and this is just my thought on it. If you're so worried about lucky and a player succeeding a role, then there's something wrong with the way that you're setting up your encounters because obviously they had the chance to get that success the first time. And if they had gotten it, what's the difference than if they rolled again and got the same result. But as a DM, you want to be rooting for your players to win. The monsters you're playing (laughs) might not be rooting for your characters to win, but you, the DM should be rooting for your characters. That's why, and that's why most of the time, and what I encourage is ruling in favor mm-hmm. of the player. Mo- almost, almost yeah, all so the time. Yeah, so give something fun if, like if this. There's ever a situation. That comes yeah, that's just the way to do it. Um, one other big one that's that's kind of come up a lot, and uh, <laughs> you can kind of thank uh, Liam O'Brien of Critical Role for bringing this one kind of to the limelight is Keen Mind. Oh yeah, <laughs> and this is this is a super fun one. Um, especially if you have a heavier role play game, because there are a lot of role play elements involved in this. You do get a plus one intelligence score, which is great because it's the ability point. Sure. That's great. Um, But you also get a bunch of other cool role play stuff. Like you always know which way is North. You always know the number of hours left before the next sunset or sunrise. So basically you can tell what time it is all the time. 
and you can accurately recall anything you have seen or heard within the past month. <laughs> and so this is, it, it's, it's hilarious um, because it, it's, it definitely can be a little bit of a cop out from the like, I don't remember this fact, but my character does. <laughs> Oh yeah, I don't know how many times we've heard. Yeah, Liam doesn't remember this, but Caleb does. <laughs> it's a, it's a great. It's, it, but it's, it's just a, a cool, legitimate use for it. So if you are a DM of a player with the key mind trait, make sure to keep your notes handy. <laughs> exactly, and, and take the notes and uh, be be ready to answer those type of questions or the directional questions or the what time is it exactly <laughs> type questions. Yes, it's uh, but it's a fun trait. Seven seconds, 28 seconds, 29 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> yeah, it's a, but it's a super fun trait. And it's like I said, especially if you have a stronger story role-playing game, uh, you can get a lot of mileage from it. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because since there are so many different types of games out there, there's a bunch of different feats that go really well with certain games too. Uh, like the feat Dungeon Delver. Incredibly great if you're going to be doing just a lot of dungeon crawls throughout your gameplay. This will actually give you advantage on wisdom and, uh, I'm sorry, on perception and intelligence check or investigation checks. I keep saying intelligence over and over again. Um, but yeah, to uh, let you find like secret doors and stuff like that. Uh, you have an int- uh, advantage on saving throws to avoid traps or resist them and everything. Um, same with damage dealt. Uh, it's something that's made specifically for going through dungeons. And I mean, even in an RP heavy game, what if you have a character who, yeah, they're, they're definitely an adventurer for life and they've gone through dungeons and everything. This is something you can really pick to, you know, kind of accentuate a backstory if that's kind of the way that you want to go. Yeah, totally agree. That's a, it's, it's a very specific skill, but it's very great if that's the type of game you're running. And some of these, like, like Ben said, some of these feats will be situational. Like they, there's definitely some like dungeon Delver that if you're not going in any dungeons, not might not be as yeah <laughs> might not be as as handy you're not getting a, like tons of traps thrown against you or something it's more uh urban combat or something like that mm-hmm. um one other one that i i really like that i i want to take more often that is often overlooked is called skilled and this one is really interesting because you gain proficiency in any combination of three skills or tools of your choice. And this is super strong because that's uh, potentially, especially as you get to higher levels, once your proficiency bonus starts going up, that is a lot of extra addition to roles that you make that you might not be, that you might not have had before, or potentially uh, more areas where you can help other people out because many times DMs let you assist a party member if uh, you are proficient in a certain skill. So exactly. let's say a perception check. I say, I'd like to, to help out. I'm, I'm proficient in perception and the DM will be like, okay, cool. You can both roll or uh, one of you can roll at advantage or something like that. Uh, there's, there's a lot of different ways you can, you can tweak it, but it just 
gives you that flexibility and that those extra, because again, flat math, every point counts. It's the big deal. Uh, and your proficiency bonus just keeps going up as you level. So it can be, be very handy to have. Yep. And uh, so the last one that I kind of found, I just found today, I'm like, Oh, this is really cool. Um, it's called fade away. This is the first one we've talked about with an actual prerequisite though. You need to be a gnome and for, in order to use this one. And with this, it's, it's really great. It's basically, um, uh, where was it? You take damage and you can use your reaction to just become invisible until the end of your next turn. You just, that's pretty cool. You're just invisible. It's just poof gone. I just, I think that's really awesome. Um, but on top of that too, it also increases either dexterity or intelligence. So not only is it just really super handy in combat, but yeah, you get that little bonus on top of it too. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. And like I said, Xanthar's has a lot of really cool racial feats that are specific to each race. So uh, especially if you have that book and your DM lets you use that, definitely check those out. There's a lot of really cool ones. Um, definitely. The last one I wanted to talk about before we move on to our community shout out is one that I really wasn't aware of, really hadn't looked at before until one of my players took it and it's called alert. Oh, I found out it's really good. You can't be surprised at all. You can't, other creatures can't gain advantage on attack rolls against you from being unseen so like rogues or whatever can't get that sneak attack if the barbarian doesn't see them because they can't get advantage. Uh, well, they can get the sneak attack if they're engaged. If they're engaged. Yes, but if they're just down on their but own. If they're un- yeah, not. but if they're attacking from being unseen, you're not surprised. You're alert. But the biggest <laughs> thing is you get a plus five bonus to initiative. And that can be gigantic depending on the combat scenario allowing you to have a much much better chance of going first especially if you have the high dexterity modifier which also contributes to your initiative so my barbarian has like a plus eight or plus nine to his initiative (laughs) which is absolutely bonkers and normally he will go first (laughs) so found that out uh really interesting i kind of like it as as a player it's really cool as a dm it's just like oh my gosh he's i just guess i better plan on him going first all the time i don't recommend that if you're a wishy-washy player (laughs) because if you're the one going first you've got to be decision you you're the point person you have to choose what's how how the whole combat's going to start and what's going to happen with it if if you take alert and just hold your action every single time you might have made the wrong choice (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so we want to hear from you let us know uh on twitter email whatever what are your favorite feats uh or how have you used them creatively we'd love to to hear your stories exactly but um before we go or before we dive into our games Ben, you have a community content. Show. Yes. Um, so ever since I started getting into d and I've had the YouTube algorithm throwing so much D&D stuff at me, which is fantastic. It's wonderful. Absolutely fantastic. 
Um, there's one that, that pops up that I, I've fallen in love with and that I, I really need to share with this. Um, have you ever seen any of the videos uh, for the animated spell book? I have. Okay. They're fantastic. Yes. So it, uh, the, the YouTube owner, it's Z Bashu, B A S H E U. Well, we're going to have a link on the, the website, but um, I really recommend it because first of all, they're fun little cartoons, but they're also really informative. They talk about either a specific spell or maybe like a, a, a sort of like small situation and everything like the animated spell book playlist itself has a lot of different information that you can learn. And I highly recommend it. It like um, it's a, just a really quick tutorial through storytelling of like the guy who saved his entire party by casting a sleep spell into a tower of knolls, you know, uh, or someone actually used fireball inside a, I don't know, inside a tavern or something. I don't, I don't think that one's a real one, but um it's something that is a great tool. It's really entertaining to watch. And then if you look at some of the other animations, uh, if you if you listen or watch Acquisitions Incorporated, he actually does some animations for them as well. Um, but there's also some storytelling stuff that he's got in there that he's done based off of uh, like some of his own games. And it's really interesting and neat to see just some of the different encounters and stuff that they, that he's come across in his own games, just especially animated in to you know fun little segments so highly recommend it it's just highly a lot of fun incredibly entertaining and you there's a there's definitely a lot i've learned sometimes he'll grab like specific spells and such rather than even scenarios and just be like here's two or three minutes on this spell and all the cool things you could do on it and i'm just like dang dude that's the digitation that is really cool episode Oh my gosh, it's so good. He he learned so much. It's just like, wow, this spell can do all the things. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's it's very very handy. Uh go to dndiscussions.com and uh, we'll have a link in our community page or on for this episode for the community page. Exactly. <laughs> what I said. Something like that. What he said. <laughs> well, before we get out of here, um Let's talk just a little, uh, little short bit about what we are up to in our current games. So, Ben, what what have you been doing? Absolutely nothing, unfortunately. Um, I was going to be playing in my Star Wars game. Unfortunately, um, something happened and I wasn't able to make it. Um, other than that, though, I do have plans for, I believe, the 12th for the game that I'm DMing. So I... And working feverishly because it is probably going to be an exposition dump at some point. Ooh. Because yeah, there's Sorry. there's a lot of backstory and story that is out there that uh, we might start getting into. I'm I'm actually really excited about it. Awesome. That's super fun. Um unfortunately, I am in the same boat as you. Oh no. Yeah, I'm <laughs> in the same boat as you. My my next uh my next game tentatively i'm still waiting to hear back because one of my players can't make it um and one of them i'm is basically if he can come is going to be the decider on the do we go or do we not go Mm because in my game when you only play once every month once every five or six weeks like you gotta take what you, you can get even if not everybody can make it so 
we're tentatively scheduled for the 11th. So I'm crossing my fingers for that. The one I play in, the, the home game I play in, uh, unfortunately, it's a super busy month for our DM. So that one's not actually going to take place until the end of the month. So it'll have been a little over a month for that one. It's, it, does it show? I'm getting like, I'm getting like <laughs> that, that, that twitch, that nervous twitch of. I like, mean, I, you, you have been scratching a whole played, lot during this episode. Played enough D&D. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, we have our, our podcast game uh, that, that we've talked about before, our plus five to hit, that we do every other week. And that's mm-hmm. been fairly consistent. So at least that, <laughs> it's been a little bit of an outlet. It was really fun, uh, this last session that's going to oh, be. Oh, yeah that's going to be releasing here uh here shortly where we fought this big abomination thing and i got to use my uh <laughs> brand new spell speak with dead which was shocking i mean so okay one of the the, the most fun things about that game is being able to role play and the fact that since my character is new to it i don't know anything about you and Faye. so yeah, the reaction I had on that was just purely a what is going on kind of thing. And yeah, I'm just, I'm really enjoying that game a lot and I'm still so glad I could be part of it. But it, it, it is fun. Like, and the, the whole, basically the reasoning is I'm a bard. I can make anything talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen my persuasion checks? They're I got, pretty I got plus good. nine or, you know, whatever. I mean, as long as you're not doing vicious mockery or trying to charm, you know, a, a kidnapped girl's dad. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so many fun shenanigans in that game. So yeah, it's, it definitely, that one, that one's nice. It's, it's the old standby that mm-hmm. you actually get to do on a fairly regular schedule. So that's a lot of fun, but hopefully next episode we'll have uh, some really uh, interesting stories from our latest games and, Hopefully the plan, at least, uh, barring any changes, is we will have our very first guest yes. next episode. So I'm actually really excited for that. Uh, another, another DM, and we're going to talk all about uh, homebrew mm-hmm. and building worlds and, in it, and integrating players into that, uh, whether it be custom setting or even, even more and expanding out on the rules. So hope uh it should should work out hopefully lined up um but uh i'm really excited to get that one done so and for some reason next week if it doesn't work next week it's still going to happen eventually it will happen eventually (laughs) i'm really excited for that one but uh i think that pretty much wraps us up for this week ben where can uh, everyone find us before we we head out well, gosh, uh, if you're looking for the show as a whole, I mean, we say it every week, the best place to find us to, to make sure that a, a nice long written form of, of storytelling or questions or whatever that you want to send, uh, make sure to email dndiscussions at gmail.com. But if you're looking for a more, uh, you know, a quicker, faster, peppier response, definitely check us out on Twitter. We are at dndiscussions. Um, Here's a really cool thing. I know we just mentioned it, but if you want to hear what it's like when we actually play a game, definitely check out Plus 5 to Hit. It is a a very fun show, and uh, it's been going on for 28 episodes now. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, it's great. Start from the beginning, listen through. There's some neat stuff going on. Um, Ryan, if, if people are looking for you specifically, though, what is the best place to find you? 
You can find me on Twitter at TBKZord. Uh, always up for chat about video games or D&D. Or my new hobby, miniature painting. Yes, I am actually kind of jealous of that. It's been <laughs> so a I, lot I, of fun. It is a couple lessons. It is incredibly relaxing. I, I, I found like my, my zen. I just throw on some music. I got my, got my paint and I can definitely lose two or three hours. And it's given me a good outlet because I've been doing this 3D printing hobby for quite a while. And I've been 3D printing, you know, D&D models and stuff. And so now I'm painting. Or starting so, to paint at least. It's going to be a long time before I've painted all the stuff that I've printed, but I'm, I am beginning <laughs> the process and it's, it's a really fun learning experience. It's honestly not horribly expensive to get into. There's that initial upfront cost and then you're painting minis that the paints are going to last a really long time. Um, and yeah, it's, it's fun. I'm really enjoying it. Very cool. So what is your uh, painting soundtrack du jour? Uh, I've been listening to, I'm, I'm a big like a uh, chill step. Okay. Guy. It's, it's just kind of like nice background music. Uh, I also like uh, EDM and I've been listening to the new Lindsey Sterling. Very cool. Artemis. Uh, it's very good. If you're, if you're a Lindsey Sterling fan. Very, very cool. Uh, let's see if you're looking for me I am also on Twitter I am at Ben Bumhofer uh, you can hit me up I will try to respond as soon as I can but unfortunately work days make it uh, a little impossible sometimes but uh, I I will d- do my very best to respond um, definitely check out this show DN Discussions if this is your first episode hey guess what there's a whole bunch more you can find us on iTunes on Google Play uh, pretty much everywhere and of course we want to hear from you. So as I said, send us those uh, messages, send us those emails, let us know what's going on in your campaign and, uh, you know, share the fun. Awesome. And we look forward to sharing the fun with you guys next episode. So until then, have a good one. Be good to each other and goodbye. <laughs>